Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue in this service today and uh, step into the first um, uh, kind of exploration of this series together, we recognize that all in the family is an opportunity for us to explore the uh, relationships of individuals, friends, and family throughout Scripture, and at the same time uh, to be able to be empowered and encouraged as a result of it as part of the family of God. And last week, you might remember, we kind of went through an exercise where you told the people next to you that we're part of the family of God. And as we sing that together, as we kind of walk through this repetition together, perhaps in some small way, it'll be an opportunity for us to step into that in large part in a deeper manner or for the first time, if we haven't ever explored or adopted that ourselves. Empowering the family of God by exploring the relationships of humanity. As we kind of walk through this series, and as we look at these different relationships, it might be, um, it, it might be a, um, uh, a temptation for you to say, well, I am not in that type of relationship, or I am not in a member of, or it's not even possible for me to be a member of that type of relationship, so I'm just going to kind of turn it off today, not listen, or just kind of passively listen. Let me just encourage you this morning to recognize that the relationships we explore regardless of where you are, are going to have an impact on all of us because we're all part of the same family. You might have noticed before um, that there's different, uh, especially specifically uh, in the past, maybe uh, as much now there's not as many, but there have been uh, t-shirt companies or t-shirt logos or slogans that have become popularized uh, over time. Uh, More recently, uh, there's a a t-shirt um, slogan or, or kind of theme that came out that was called the theme, meaning the fill in the blank. And right now I'm wearing this shirt. Actually, my wife made this for me, so I didn't have to pay $50 to buy a t-shirt. This uh, says the original. And in context, it doesn't really mean a lot. You look at it and you think, well, that's just, okay, it's, that's interesting. Thank you so much for that. But if you were to, to get on right now, and, and you could even look this up, you know, the original t-shirts, you'd recognize that these are supposed to be worn within the context of a family unit or within the context of close friends. The original, so to speak, is for the father and the mother of the family. They're the two that are the originals in the family. They're the ones uh, that, that were first. They came together first, and therefore, uh, they, um, they are the originals. From that point on, each subsequent child also has a specific label of the as well. And as a dad joke kind of person, which is what I am, I love all of the different fill-in-the-blanks that you can create for each of your children, particularly as their uh, personality would allow. And I I asked one of my kids to participate in uh, the the sermon today, so I'm going to ask him to come up. So this is, um, come on up, buddy. He's ready. He's ready. This is um, my third child, and he is, if you can't see that, it says he is the remix. I'll move this over a little bit. He is the remix. Good to go? Yeah? And if we were to look at all of the children, they would each have their own. The remix is right here, which is interesting. He's our third and youngest child. And typically the last child is actually called the mic drop. And so for us, I'm going to have to ask my wife why she made this. 
and not the mic drop. So I'll have that conversation afterwards and have an update for you <laughs> next week. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But in any event, each child, each subsequent child is given a specific um, title for the and therefore um, is in, in such is indicated as part of the family with their role, their part to play. Can I hear it for Sawyer real quick, everybody? Thanks, buddy. Appreciate your help. In the story today that we're going to look at, the historical account we're going to look at, there is an original. The original is one that we actually kind of sang about as we talked about the generations uh, that we are part of, and that person is Abraham. And Abraham is the ultimate original in the eyes of God. He's the one that was granted the opportunity to be uh, the father of many generations, the father of many that would come after him. And then in the same token, there is also this promise that came that granted the opportunity for him to have through the the engagement and through the provision of God, a remix slash even a mic drop. Abraham and Isaac are, is an interesting relationship within the context of Scripture, and we're going to explore that relationship today. We're going to explore that relationship recognizing that there are some in the room right now that are not a father or a son or either one of that, but at the same time, God has a message for us today. Today, I want to, in fact, read a story. But rather than embrace the mere words of the story, the mere words of the historical account, I want for God to give us his intention and his meaning as we look far deeper than mere words, mere call or obedience, but instead far deeper in what God is leading for us to understand about what it means to be an Abraham, what it means to be an Isaac, what it means to be the original and or the remix. Before we begin on our primary passage in Genesis chapter 22, if you want to put your finger there, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 21. I'm just going to read briefly one passage to help us to kind of see where Abraham is, where his wife Sarah is at this time, leading into uh, the, the amazing ask that God has on Abraham's life. And starting in verse 21, just the first few verses there, or it's chapter 21, first few verses there, it says this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Amen. We can all kind of say amen to that. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. So in God's timing, God provided what he promised he would provide. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him, his remix, so to speak. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now, I don't want to get into the, the sheer calendar and understanding specifically what that looks like, but a hundred years old, that's a few years. A hundred years old is, is way past the time when Abraham and Sarah would have thought, you know what? Probably not going to happen for us. But God promised, God provided, God said, here's what I'm going to do for you. And while at that time Sarah was also actually 80, at that time there was a provision that God granted to Abraham and Sarah who never lost faith in the righteousness of the God, the God that they serve, the God that they love, the God that we sang about just a moment ago. He still provided, he still came through, he still expressed the love and the provision that he had for Abraham and his people. 
Abraham was a righteous man, and God chose him to be a servant about a blessing uh, to creation, a blessing that we can all experience. And in, and in so doing, he brought forth an opportunity to foreshadow the greatest passion that we could ever experience. Because let me just tell you, all Scripture, no matter what you're looking at, Old Testament or New Testament, all Scripture points to the gift of Jesus, the Messiah that we have, the sacrifice and the Savior that we get to have relationship with. And so specifically and directly here as we read this passage, let us recognize that God is inspiring the author here to reflect upon and to foreshadow that this is not just about Abraham, not just about Isaac, not just about obedience, but look at, it's pointing towards looking at the future, which is that Jesus will come. As we walk through this story, I'm going to pause as we go. And we're going to kind of reflect on these passages, and we're going to start directly uh, in the primary passage at 22 verse 1. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, and this is the, the greatest response. I love this posture. He said to Abraham, he said to him, Abraham, excuse me. And the response is this, here I am. Abraham's response wasn't just a minute, just a second. Wasn't, a I'll talk to you later. Or, you know what, God, you know, I, I appreciate you, you, you bringing forth the, the result or the provision of this promise. Instead, Abraham's result, Abraham's posture, Abraham's response, his reflection was, here I am. Verse 2, it says, Then God said, after he had Abraham's attention, after Abraham's allegiance was there, he was ready to listen, then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, take your son, your only son, that might come into play later, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as, as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And I'm sure that Abraham had a few puzzling questions at this point. Kind of a head scratcher. Wait a minute. First of all, you want me to sacrifice my son. And I'll, I'll just kind of sidebar here. I'm sure that when you read this or when we read this, there are some questions. Is God really, is he saying that we should be involved in? Or is he encouraging child sacrifice? Like, what's the point of all this? Is this really where we're going with this? And let me just say, don't get lost in the weeds here. Instead, it's not a about the physical sacrifice as much as it is about the sacrifice of the heart, which means that God wants all of us. He wants every bit of us. He wants every resource we have. And here, in addition to this specific request, it's not just about him saying, hey, I want your son and I want your allegiance and I want everything about you. It's also recognizing that, hey, I've given you the promise that through your son, you will experience many generations of blessing. There will be many people. There will be many nations that will come as a result of, of you, Abraham, your allegiance and, and your, your, your righteousness. And through your son, I Isaac, I will do this. And I'm sure that I, or Abraham was standing there saying, oh, wait a minute. You just, after a hundred years, gave me this son, and now you want to just take him away. But Abraham, recognizing and reflecting on this, didn't run away. Instead, in the context of how the author placed this, Jesus, or excuse me, God asking for your son, your only son, whom you love, reflects upon the fact that God is doing something greater than just what we understand in our own context. And Abraham knew that too. This is greater than what I can see, what I can fully understand. And so I'll step forward in obedience. And there we see the request. And you're following on your note guide. The request is there. And the request is God's, and the, request, uh, the response to God's request is God's test of faith often embraces our deepest stronghold. And what that means in part or directly is that sometimes there's things in our life that we hold close 
whether it be that, that, that job or whether it be that, that home or whether it be that relationship or whatever it might be, that thing that we hold close and what God is saying to Abraham and what his reflection is, his request is for us is whatever that thing or those things are, you don't necessarily have to sacrifice them on an altar to me, but I want to know and I want you to know that these are also mine and I care about them as much as I do you, and I love them as much or more than you do, particularly when it comes to people. And so the request is there. God asks this great request of his servant, and God's test of faith often embraces our deepest stronghold, reflecting on that his deepest stronghold was this promise that God had given him that there would be generations that would come as a result of his son, Isaac. I'm going to move forward uh, at this time. I, 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 you guys don't see this, but in my notes, a lot of times I'll have little things for illustration, but we're running a little bit shorter on time. And so I have little notes that say, this isn't t- entirely necessary. So if you want the deleted scenes, uh, schedule a meeting with me this week. I'd love to talk with you about it. Verse three picks up, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. So here he is already responding. He's already stepping forward. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, it took him three days, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He saw the place where this would happen. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I, go, while, while I and the boy go over there. And then this is key right here, this first word of the next sentence. We will worship and then we will come back to you. That's puzzling right there. For a person who thought that he was about to lose his son, why would he share with the servants that he was going to worship with his son? Uh, You know, this is plural. They're both included. And then they would both return back. And it's interesting to note that three days took place. It's interesting to note that as they walked along, they were were just uh, following what God had for them. I'm sure there were some questions in the minds of the servants and also in Isaac of where is this sacrifice going to come from? Because typically you don't just uh, assume that it's going to show up. Instead, you, you bring it with you. But at this time, they're moving forward in obedience. And, and God is learning the lessons, speci- or excuse me, Abraham's learning the lessons of how God will provide and what God will do. He's provided in the past. He'll provide in the future. God's called me to do this. He wouldn't lead me into the desert or up on the mountain to do something that he's not going to provide for or oversee. You know, God didn't want Isaac to die. Instead, he wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in his heart. And so as a reflection to that, God is testing him, not tempting him because God doesn't tempt us, but he's testing him to to bring forth a greater sense of strength and a greater sense of character and a deeper reliance and commitment to God in his own perfect timing. Through this, Abraham strengthened his commitment to obey God, and he learned God's ability to provide for him as he stepped forward. And so the response came. Abraham stepped forward and said yes. He obeys on this journey. He also, uh, probably at this point, you're asking the question, how could he do this? How could he, how could he step forward and say yes to God in this moment? 
And the reality is this, that through the provision that God had granted, and I encourage you, if you haven't read the story or the historical account of Abraham, God provided. He, he brought forth an opportunity time and time again. He came through, and because of that, Abraham knew God. He knew the nature of God. He knew the character of God. He knew that God wanted what was best for him. He knew that God would provide. He knew that God cared about him. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave him nor forsake him. And the point is this, practicing obedience is easier when we know the character and the nature of the one who requires our action. You know, if this was the first time that, that God asked something deeply, especially this huge thing of Abraham, there might have been a tendency for Abraham to say, you know what, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I'm going to do that. You know, in fact, why don't you show me, to me your plan and so I know what's going to happen in the future. If you're going to ask me to, to quit this job and start another one or going to go back to school, or you're going to ask me to do whatever it might be, I'm going to have to have a little more information. In essence, God say, no, here's what I have for you. This is what I want you to do. Be obedient of me. Obedience as a result of, of knowing the one who's asking is, is, is crucial. I had a friend once who his boss would ask specific things of the employees, and typically those things would be very bizarre, very weird, and, and he would think, well, I don't understand the purpose of this, but ultimately they would follow because the boss was, wanted what was best for them. The boss wanted them to be able to grow and thrive, and oftentimes they would come out on the other end, and it would be like one of those twist moments where it's like, wow, I can't believe this is what was the, this is the outcome come to that weird response, or that, excuse me, that weird question, but because of the positive response, because they knew the boss and the heart of the boss, that he wanted what was best for them, there was always a success. There was always growth on the other end. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place of neglecting obeying God's call because we are in a habit of knowing a little bit better than God. God, you've got a lot going on. You've got all these other people to be concerned about. I'm sure you don't know my situation. And in my situation, this is really tough. And so I'll take it from here. I can take care of this. Or maybe you have a logical mind. You want everything figured out. You want everything in place. And so sometimes it's easy to, to kind of just push God off and say, well, uh, you know, your plan is pretty good, but you don't really have the same detail that I have. But when we know the nature we know the character of a good God, a God who loves us, a God who is both all-powerful and a God who is good, we can trust Him. We can trust Him because He's all-powerful, meaning He can do what He chooses to do. He can do what He wants to do, but also He's a good God, which means He wants to do good. He wants us to experience goodness. And that combination can be so empowering, so encouraging. It can lift all the anxiety or the frustration we might have at looking at the future because when God calls and we respond, we can recognize that He is good and He's all-powerful. Verse 6 picks up, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He took the wood, the, the element that was going to be used to sacrifice his son, and he put it on Isaac's shoulders. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering. 
I've looked around, I've recognized we've got all the supplies we need to make this sacrifice except for the actual item, the actual element, that lamb that needs to be killed and sacrificed for this time of worship. The confusion, I'm sure, was mounting for Isaac as he walked up with his father. No doubt he's probably been with his father before at times of, of, of sacrifice and times of worship and recognizes the meticulous nature by which everything was taken care of. But how could my father, how could the original forget this main crucial thing, the lamb itself? have to believe at the same time that the handwriting was kind of on the wall. Isaac was starting to think about this for just a moment and think, wow, you know what? As we kind of walk through this, there is something that doesn't work, something that doesn't fit. And while he probably felt safe in the presence of God and in the presence of his father, who's always done good and always done right in his way, I'm sure some doubt was beginning to creep in. And so we see the paradox, and the point there is this, that often God's provision is outside of our earthly understanding. Well, pastor, that's easy for you to say, it's easy for you to, 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 to express, yeah, we look at the passage, and that's all really nice within the context of this beautiful story, that, I don't know if it's really a beautiful story, but this story that we're reading right now, but you don't know my situation, you don't know the things that are going on in my life, and that might very well be true. I don't know the things that are happening in your life. But the God who's called you to it, the God who loves you, the God who's called you to this place will see you through this place. He won't say, good luck, I hope you figured it out, but he will walk through it with you. Just as we sang, God will go before you and behind you and within you. Amen, family of God? The God who created you, the God who, is, who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who loves you and has made you in his own image will walk alongside you in the moments of confusion. Often God's provision is outside of our earthly understanding because God is God and I'm not. Maybe we need to start some days or some, or some thought processes with this notion that God knows better than we do. And amen that he does. Because we've seen how we do it. Maybe you're not like me, but when I think, when I, think I know better or I do it my way, I screw it up. Amen, Steve, right? We've seen you. We love you. Verse 8 continues in this story we're reading, and, and we better get somewhere with this because certainly the confusion is mounting. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Enough to say, I'm sure he put his arm around him and he said, look, I know this seems confusing, but as we march forward, we have to believe that God is in control. God will provide when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And at that point, whether he said it verbally or whether he just began to, to, to step forward in action, Isaac knew at that time that things were going to be fulfilled through his own demise. When they reached the place and God had had told him about Abraham build an altar there and arrange the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
And we picture there that Abraham put everything on the altar, his son, obviously, but also his dreams, the promises of, of him being this blessing to all. He put everything that he knew, everything that he experienced, the promises that God gave him, all of it on the altar. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And in verse 11, it says, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And in his perfect timing and in his perfect way and the way that God will always come through. He stops Abraham in this moment and Abraham's response once again while it was on the front end. And think about this first time. In verse 1 it says, sometime later God tested Abraham. He, he said to him, Abraham, and his response then at that point, God the one who gave me my, this son, God the one who, who has created all the things that I have, God who has been a, 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 a supporter and a, and a loving provider in all ways, his response was, here I am right? And here on the other end of it, when he's asked for all of those things back, put your son on the altar, he's holding the knife to literally slay his own child and all the promise that comes with it, the same response comes from this righteous man. Here I am. Sorry, I didn't really tell you that was your line, but wow. Abraham's response, here I am, even in this moment of despair, this moment of confusion, this moment that was so discouraging, and the obedience, the obedience then is rolled out with this point, mutual submission to God unleashes the power and provision of God. Because at that point, Abraham didn't try to get away, or excuse me, Isaac didn't try to get away. He didn't run off. Abraham didn't say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to get it done. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out another way. There's probably some animal around. I can, I can, I can, God, God will just have to understand that I'm not going to do this. But instead the two of them came together, standing together. They said yes to what God had for them. And this mutual submission gave an opportunity for God to show his power and to show his provision. Certainly this would have never happened, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment. This never would have happened. The resolution never would have came had they said, nope, we're not going to the mountain. Or I'm not carrying this burden of this wood on my back. Or I'm not going to go to this place and build this altar. If none of those actions of righteousness and obedience would have happened, then we never would have seen what this whole thing was pointing at. In verse 12, it reads like this. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. And let's just get this point. Okay, could have just put a period there, but instead the author wrote this, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram. And I don't know how that works. I guess, you know, bird in the hand, two in the bush, maybe one ram in the bush. Is, I don't know. But he went over, he got this ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. In substitution of, instead of, there was this switch that took place where his son was saved and this ram was slain. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, he said, on this mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. All along, God is, he's, he's doing this thing in the story. And perhaps you like the kind of stories where they, they have like these little clues, right? Some breadcrumbs. I mean, sometimes you use breadcrumbs and you drop them. Sorry, janitorial staff, but here we go, right? 
You have these breadcrumbs and, and you use them so that you know your way back. And let me just tell you right here, there's, there's been these breadcrumbs that have been dropped along the way where, 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 where God's saying, okay, I want you to understand the magnitude of the request, the magnitude of your response, and the magnitude of how I will bring forth this substitution. This here I am moment brings something so much greater. And that, that chart that's on your, your note guide is filled in like this. First, the passion is foreshadowed. And under these paralleled actions, the first thing we see is this long-awaited beloved son. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, they're talking about this son that came, this, this, this long-awaited son. And then in Matthew 3, uh, 17, it reads like this, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And he drops this breadcrumb to readers. He drops this breadcrumb to all who would understand and to know, to reflect upon the fact that this is kind of symbolic. The fact that Isaac is this long-awaited son, and then there's also this Messiah who was waited on by the chosen people. When is this son, Jesus, going to come? And then we see the author's continuation of bringing forth this parallel action. It was led by his father up the mountain. Literally, Isaac was led up the mountain in, in chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 3, where he was brought up the, the mountain by his father. They went together in this place. I just want to read this again. Early in the morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he cut enough wood for uh, the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And so up the mountain, he goes with his son. And at the same time, we see in Matthew 26, 39, this text reads, going a little further, he fell on, this is on the mountain, he fell with his face on the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This third one is quite possibly the, the most uh, uh, mind-boggling when you think about it. This is a read-between-the-lines moment. This is the, the interesting thing. He carried his own wood. They carried the wood. This is the breadcrumb to note. He carried the wood that was going to be used as an instrument for him to be killed. In Genesis chapter uh, 22, verse 6, it talks about the fact that, that, uh, that this wood was loaded upon Isaac as he went. And then at the same time, in John chapter 19, verse 17, it talks about Jesus carrying his own cross, he went out to a place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And this is this reality that they were, they were carrying this burden along with them figuratively and literally. And we see this parallel between Isaac, between Jesus. The fourth one is this, a, a ram, a male lamb was given. And at the same time, there's this lamb of God. And John 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 29, talks about the lamb of God, talks about Jesus being the lamb of God, the one who came, the one who sacrificed, that perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And if we're going to read this and just kind of follow through with this same context and understanding, we get to this point, we say, okay, well, you know, we, we see the fact that, that Isaac is basically the same as Jesus. But then all of a sudden, Jesus does this M. Light Shyamalan uh, moment where everything gets turned on its head. You're like, oh, this aha moment. I can't believe that that's truly what took place. And what happens here is Jesus actually transitions and becomes the substitute, therefore becomes the one who dies in place of the sins of the world. 
And that's illustrated perfectly as a response to recognize that God provides a substitution, a sacrificial substitution for Isaac through this moment of bringing forth a ram, a male lamb. And in that case, we see this real passion of God where he says, you won't die. You're not to die. In fact, there will be a lamb, or in this case, a ram that will come in place of you. And we then take the position symbolically of Isaac. And in that moment, Jesus then becomes this ram who takes on the plight of the world who takes on the sin of the world, who takes on the opportunity to be the sacrificial lamb, the one who makes all things new. We might read this and recognize the symbolism of Isaac and Jesus, but we see this change in substitution when we become Isaac and Jesus becomes the ram. So why the original? Why is that the context specifically of this Sermon. Perhaps if I'd ask you that to begin with and you were astute to know which story we were going to be walking through, you say, well, obviously Abraham is the original and Isaac is the remix or perhaps even the mic drop. But the reflection is this, that it all points towards this context of who Jesus is and what he does to provide for us. And in fact, in our relationships within the context of the family of God, the recognition is this, that all relationships... All resources, all priorities, all values must in turn be sacrificed on the, 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 the altar of God, must be put before God in whatever means and way we have to. Jesus has to be at the center. Jesus has to be the one who brings forth an opportunity for us to experience afresh and anew. And may I, may, while I may be the, the original of, of my family, uh, practically, let me just say this, uh, of the family of God, the only original is that of our Savior. And if you don't know him, if you don't understand what he is and what he has done for you, if you don't recognize him as the original, you're going to walk around with a t-shirt or with a lifestyle that thinks that you're the original. That's me focused. That's center focused. I'm the one. I'm the one that does everything. I'm the one that has all the power. I'm the one that makes all the decisions. And that pride becomes the, the, the demise, that pride becomes the one that recognizes that God is unable to work in your life because of this hardening that you have created, this hardening, this wall that you have put up. The original. The good God that we sing about. The loving God that provides for us. The one who makes all things new. I'm going to read the benediction first, and then I'm going to pray for us. Genesis chapter 22. Let me just read the result of this motion, or this, this uh, action. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. Perhaps you know that. It's kind of a popular verse. John 3, 16. Anybody heard that before? I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashores. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham's devotion to God, you know, we see it paralleled with, the, with the, uh, the, the following that Jesus did, but at the same time, his devotion to God brought forth an opportunity for others to experience blessings. And God's blessings are not just gifts or physical, tangible things that we have, but are intended to be an overflow to other people, to those around us. In fact, that last point is this, God's, or God blesses the obedience of his creation. God blesses the obedience as we step forward and say yes to him, as we put things on the the altar, so to speak, to allow him to have control, to allow him to lead and to guide our life. And as we look specifically at at this example of Abraham, it's not just directly about this, okay, God, you asked me to do something, I'm going to do it, but it's this love in which it comes from, of recognizing that God has called us, he has led us, and he wants us to experience the blessing as well. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you in this place recognizing that you do call, that you are present, that you have been here with us, God, and in this place and beyond. And God, we ask, Father, now that you would expose to to us in any area of our life, Father, that's not of you. Expose to us, God, any area of our life that might be a stronghold, something that we're holding on to. God, I pray that your word... Literally, as we kind of read, but also at the same time as we read between the lines to your deeper messages, sometimes God would be an opportunity for us to be transformed by your truth, to be transformed by by the way that you have engaged us, God, by by your provision, by your care, by your love. God, we ask, God, in this place that as your children, as the family of God, that we would come together honoring you, glorifying you, being your hands and feet. Maybe express your love and your truth. Maybe experience your grace, your mercy, and your peace. May we go from this place recognizing who the original is. That's you. Thank you, God, for allowing us, God, to be part of your redemptive work, to experience your righteousness, and to be your hands and feet. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As you go this week, go excited, go encouraged, because you are all in the family. Follow the original and bless the remix anywhere you can. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.